to sleep. Thanks for being here again. We hope you've had a chance to explore our many and varied episodes. So many, in fact, celebrate with us because today we reach the quarter of a century mark. Well, no, that's not quite right. We have not been here for 250 years, but we have published 250 episodes. Thanks for putting up with our long, slow, wide learning curve. We hope we're at least heading into the right direction for you and your listening needs. Let us know. Like, comment, and subscribe. So, going way, way back to episodes 32 and 33. Oh, entirely different recording devices then. Well, we brought you the popular and creepy The Yellow Wallpaper, written by, it's a long list, commercial artist, magazine editor, social reform advocate, lecturer, and author, Charlotte Perkins Gilman. She wrote The Yellow Wallpaper after her own severe bout of postpartum psychosis. She couldn't leave her bed. She couldn't read, write, sew. She couldn't talk. She couldn't even feed herself. So after nine weeks of hospital care, she was finally sent home with the following interesting instructions. Live as domestic a life as possible. Have your child with you all the time. Lie down an hour after each meal. Have but two hours intellectual life a day. And never touch pen, brush, or pencil as long as you live. Need I explain that her doctor was a man? Well, her depression deepened. She became suicidal. Only a complete separation from her husband, Walter, and a return to her intellectual life could lift her out of that depression. Meanwhile, Walter had fallen in love with Charlotte's best friend, Grace. After Charlotte and Walter's divorce, Grace and Walter were married, and happily with Charlotte's full support. It was at this point that Charlotte was offered a job in San Francisco, a place she considered unsuitable for a child. Well, she knew Grace and Walter would provide a strong, loving home for her little Kate. So Charlotte relinquished Kate's care to them. And that is when all hell broke out as the press helped to publicly condemn this mother and important figure for allowing another woman to raise her child. So this last experience gave Ms. Gilman the very personal inspiration for today's story. But there's just two important notes before we start. For background information, we'd like to credit 
story of the week for their article entitled Gilman, Novels, Stories, and Poems. You can find them at storyoftheweek.loa.org. And of course, other credits for this episode are always found on our website. Now, the second note, very important. There are two racial slurs referring to indigenous people in this story. As, well, unkind is too mild a word, as they are, the author uses them to demonstrate the bigotry and ignorance of two characters. And there's also what may be considered a milder epitaph about Canadians. Again, for the same purpose, we truly hope you'll understand our decision to leave these in. Waited long enough? Let's tuck in, everybody, for Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Unnatural Mother. tell me, said old Miss Briggs with a forbidding shake of the head. No mother that was a mother would desert her own child for anything on earth. And leaving it a care on the town, too, put in Susanna Jacobs, as if we hadn't enough to do to take care of our own. Miss Jacobs was a well-to-do old maid, owning a comfortable farm and homestead, and living alone with an impoverished cousin, acting as general servant, companion, and protege. Miss Briggs, on the contrary, had had thirteen children, five of whom remained to bless her, so that what maternal feeling Miss Jacobs might lack, Miss Briggs could certainly supply. I should think, piped little Martha Ann Simmons, the village dressmaker, that she might have saved her young one first and then tried what she could do for the town. Martha had been married, had lost her husband, and had one sickly boy to care for. The youngest Briggs girl, still unmarried at 36, and in her mother's eyes a most tender infant, now ventured to make a remark. You don't any of you seem to think what she did for all of us, well, if she hadn't left hers, we should have lost ours, sure. Mm -hmm. You ain't no call to judge, Maria Malia, her mother hastened to reply. You've no children of your own. 
You can't judge of a mother's duty. No mother ought to leave her child. Whatever happens, the Lord gave it to her to take care of. He never gave her other people's. You needn't tell me. She was an unnatural mother, repeated Miss Jacobs harshly. As I said, to begin with. What, what is the story? asked the city boarder. The city boarder was interested in stories from a business point of view, but they did not know that. What did this woman do? she asked. There was no difficulty in eliciting particulars. The difficulty was rather indiscriminating amidst their profusion and contradictoriness. But when the city boarder got it clear in her mind, it was somewhat as follows. The name of the much-condemned heroine was Esther Greenwood, and she lived and died here in Toddsville. Toddsville was a mill village. The Todds lived on a beautiful eminence overlooking the little town as the castles of robber barons on the Rhine used to overlook their little towns. The mill and the mill hands' houses were built close along the bed of the river. Well, they had to be pretty close because the valley was a narrow one and the bordering hills were too steep for travel. But the water power was fine. Above the village was the reservoir, filling the entire valley save for a narrow road beside it. A fair blue smiling lake edged with lilies and blue flag rich in pickerel and perch. Ah, this lake gave them fish, it gave them ice, it gave the power that ran the mills, it gave the town its bread. Blue Lake was both useful and ornamental. In this pretty and industrious village, Esther had grown up the somewhat neglected child of a heartbroken widower. He had lost a young wife and three fair babies before her. This one was left him, and he said he meant that she should have all the chance there was. Uh, that was what ailed her in the first place. They all eagerly explained to the city boarder. She never knew what t'was to have a mother, and she grew up a regular tomboy. Why, she used to roam the country for miles around in all weather like an engine. And her father wouldn't take no advice. Now this topic lent itself to eager discussion. The recreant father, it appeared, was a doctor. 
not their accepted standby, the resident physician of the neighborhood, but an alien doctor, possessed of views. You never heard such things as he advocated, Miss Jacobs explained. He wouldn't give no medicines, hardly. Said nature did the curing. He couldn't. And he couldn't either. That was clear. Mrs. Briggs agreed. Look at his wife and children, dying on his hands, as it were. Physician, heal thyself, I say. But, mother, Maria Amelia put in. She was an invalid when he married her, they say, and those children died of Polly, mm, Polly, oh, what's that thing that nobody can help? Well, that may all be so, Miss Jacobs admitted, but all the same, it's a doctor's business to give medicine. If nature was all that was wanted, we needn't have any doctor at all. I believe in medicine, and plenty of it. I always gave my children a good clearance, spring and fall, whether anything ailed them or not, just to be on the safe side. And if there was anything the matter with them, they had plenty more. I never had anything to reproach myself with on that score, stated Ms. Briggs firmly. Then, as a sort of concession to the family graveyard, she added piously, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Oh, you should have seen the way he dressed that child, pursued Miss Jacobs. It was a reproach to the town. Why, you couldn't tell at a distance whether it was a boy or a girl. And barefoot. He let that child go barefoot till she was so big. We was actually mortified to see her. It appeared that a wild, healthy childhood had made Esther very different in her early womanhood from the meek, well-behaved damsels of the little place. She was well enough liked by those who knew her at all, and the children of the place adored her. But the worthy matrons shook their heads and prophesied no good of a girl who was queer. She was described with rich detail in reminiscence. How she wore her hair short till she was 15, just shingled like a boy's. It did seem a shame that a girl had no mother to look after her, and her clothes was almost a scandal even when she did put on shoes and stockings, just gingham, brown gingham, and short. I think she was a real nice girl, said Maria Amelia. 
Why, I can remember her just as well. Oh, she was so nice to us children. She was five or six years older than I was, and most girls that age won't have anything to do with little ones, but she was as kind and pleasant. She'd take us burying and on all sorts of walks and teach us new games and tell us things. Why, I don't remember anyone that ever did us the good she did. Maria Amelia's thin chest heaved with emotion, and there were tears in her eyes. But her mother took her up somewhat sharply. Well, that sounds well, I must say, right before your own mother that's toiled and slaved for you. It's all very well for a young thing that's got nothing on earth to do to make herself agreeable to young ones. Though that poor blinded father of hers never taught her to do the work a girl should. Oh, naturally, he couldn't. At least he might have married again and given her another mother, said Susanna Jacobs, with decision. With so much decision, in fact, that the city boarder studied her expression for a moment and concluded that if this recreant father had not married again, well, it was not for lack of opportunity. Mrs. Simmons cast an understanding glance upon Miss Jacobs and nodded wisely. Yes, he ought to have done that, of course. A man's not fit to bring up children, anyhow. How can they? Mothers have the instinct. Well, that is all natural mothers have. But dear me, there's some as don't seem to be mothers, even when they have a child. Oh, you're quite right, Miss Simmons, agreed the mother of 13. It's a divine instinct, I say. I'm sorry for the child that lacks it. Now, this Esther, we always knew she won't like other girls. She never seemed to care for dress and company like girls naturally do, but was always philandering over the hills with a parcel of young ones. There weren't a child in town but that would not run after her. She made more trouble in a little in families. The young ones quoting what Aunt Esther said and telling what Aunt Esther did to their own mothers. And she, only a young girl, why, she actually seemed to care more for them children than she did for bows or anything. It wasn't natural. But... She did marry, pursued the city boarder. Marry, yes. She finally married. We all thought she never would, but she did. Mm. After the things her father taught her, it did seem as if he'd ruined all her chances. It's simply terrible the way that girl was trained. Well, him being a doctor, put in Mrs. Simmons, made it 
different, I suppose. Ah, oh, doctor or no doctor, Miss Jacobs rigidly interposed. It was a cry and shame to have a young girl so instructed. Uh, Maria Malia, said her mother, I want you should get me my smelling salts. Yes, they're up in the spare chamber, I believe. When your Aunt Marcia was here, she had one of her spells, don't you remember? And she asked for salts. Uh, look in the top bureau drawer. They must be there. Maria Amelia, 36, but unmarried, withdrew dutifully. And the other ladies drew closer to the city border. It's the most shocking thing I ever heard of, murmured Mrs. Briggs. Do you know, he, a father, actually taught his daughter It's the most shocking thing I ever heard of, murmured Mrs. Briggs. Do you know he, a father, actually taught his daughter how babies come? There was a breathless hush. He did, eagerly chimed in the little dressmaker. All 
the particulars. It was perfectly awful. He said, continued Mrs. Briggs, that he expected her to be a mother and that she ought to understand what was before her. He was waited on by a committee of ladies from the church, married ladies, all older than he was, explained Miss Jacobs severely. They told him it was creating a scandal in the town. And what do you think he said? There was another breathless silence. Above, the steps of Maria Amelia were heard approaching the stairs. It ain't fair, Ma. Oh, well, you you look in the high boy, in, in the top drawer there, somewhere up there, her mother replied. Then, in a sepulchral whisper, he told us, oh, yes, ma'am, I was on that committee. He told us that until young women knew what was before them as mothers, they would not do their duty in choosing a father for their children. Oh, that was his expression, choosing a father. A nice thing for a young girl to be thinking of. A father for her children. Oh, yes, and more than that, inserted Miss Jacobs, who though not on the committee, seemed familiar with its workings. He told them, but Mrs. Briggs waved her aside. Uh, He taught that innocent girl about the bad disease. Actually, he did, said the dressmaker. It got out, too. All over town. Why, there wasn't a man here would have married her after that. Miss Jacobs insisted on taking up the tale. I understand that he said it was to protect her. Oh, protect her indeed. Against matrimony. Why, if any man alive would want to marry a young girl. Oh, not one who knew all the evil of life. I was brought up differently, I assure you. Young girls should be kept innocent, Mrs. Briggs solemnly proclaimed. Why, when I was married, I knew no more what was before me than a babe unborn, and my girls were all brought up so too. Then, as Maria Amelia returned with the salts, she continued more loudly, but she did marry after all. And a mighty queer husband she got, too. He was an artist or something, made pictures for the magazines and such as that, and they do say she met him first out in the hills. Well, that's the first was known of it here, anyhow. Them two traipsin' about all over and him with his painting things. They married and just settled down to live with her father, for she vowed she wouldn't leave him. And he said it didn't make no difference where he lived. He took his business with him. Yeah, they seemed very happy together, said Maria Amelia. 
happy. Well, they might have been, I suppose. It was a pretty queer family, I think. And her mother shook her head in retrospection. They got on all right for a while. But the old man died. And those two, well, I don't call it housekeeping the way they lived. Oh, no, said Miss Jacobs. They spent more time out of doors than they did in the house. Oh, she followed him around everywhere and for open love-making. They all showed deep disapproval at this memory. All but the city boarder and Maria Amelia. She had one child, a girl, continued Mrs. Briggs, and it was just shocking to see how she neglected that child from the beginning. She never seemed to have no maternal feelings at all. But I thought you said she was very fond of children, remonstrated the city boarder. Oh, children, yes. She'd take up with any dirty-faced brat in town, even to them Canucks. I've seen her again and again with a whole swarm of the mill hands young ones round her, going on some picnic or other open-air school, she used to call it. Such notions as she had. But when it come to her own child, why? And here the speaker's voice sank to a horrified hush. She never had no baby clothes for it. Not a single sock. The city boarder was interested. Why, what did she do with the little thing? Oh, the Lord knows, answered old Miss Briggs. She never would let us hardly see it when twas little. Shamed, too, I don't doubt. But that strange feelings for a mother. Why, I was so proud of my babies, and I kept them looking so pretty. I'd have sat up all night and sewed and washed, but I'd have had my children look well. And the poor old eyes filled with tears as she thought of the eight little graves in the churchyard, which she never failed to keep looking pretty, even now. Oh, she just let that young one roll round in the grass like a puppy, with hardly nothing on. Why, a squaw does better. She does keep them done up for a spell. That child was treated worse than an engine. Well, we all done what we could, of course. We felt it no more than right, but she was real hateful about it, and we had to let her be. Oh, the child died? asked the city boarder. Died? Oh, dear, no. Well, that's it you saw going by. A great strapping girl she is, too, and promising to grow up well. Thanks to Mrs. Stone's taking her. Mrs. Stone's always uh, fought a heap of Esther. 
It's a mercy to the child that she lost her mother, I do believe. How she ever survived that kind of treatment beats all. Why, that woman never seemed to have the first spark of maternal feeling to the end. She seemed just as fond of the other young ones after she had her own as she was before. And that's, that's against nature. Now, the way it happened was this. You see, they lived up the valley nearer to the lake than the village. He was away and was coming home that night, it seems, driving from Drayton along the lake road. And she set out to meet him. She must have walked up to the dam to look for him. And, well, we think maybe she saw his team clear across the lake. Maybe she thought he could get to the house and save little Esther in time. Well, that's the only explanation we ever could put on it, but this is what she did. And you can judge for yourself if any mother in her senses could have done such a thing. You see, t'was the time of that awful disaster. You've read of it, likely, that destroyed three villages. Well, she got to the dam and see that t'was given way. And she was always great for knowing all such things. And she just turned and ran. Jake Elder was up on the hill after a stray cow, and he seen her go. He was too far off to imagine what ailed her, but he said he never saw a woman run so in his life. And if you'll believe it, she run right by her own house. Never stopped. Never looked at it. Just run for the village. Of course, she may have lost her head with the fright, but that wasn't like her. No, I think she made up her mind to leave that innocent baby to die. She just ran down here and give warning. And of course, we sent word down valley on horseback, and there was no lives lost in all three villages. She started back. She started to run back as soon as we was roused, but was too late then. Jake saw it all, though he was too far off to do a thing. He said he couldn't stir a foot. It was so awful. Now, he's seen the wagon driving along as nice as you please till it got close to the dam. And then Greenwood seemed to see the danger. Oh, and whipped up like mad. Oh, he was the father, you know. But he wasn't quite in time. The dam give way, and the water went over him like a tidal wave. She was almost to the gate 
when it struck the house. And her. And we never found her body nor his for days and days. Well, they was washed clear down river. Their house was strong, and it stood a little high and had some big trees between it and the lake, too. It was moved off the place and brought up against the side of the stone church down yonder. But Twant, wholly in pieces, and that child was found, swimming round in its bed, most drowned, but not quite. The wonder is it didn't die of a cold. But it's here yet. Must have a strong constitution. Her folks never did nothing for it. So we had to keep it here. Well, now, Mother, said Maria Amelia Briggs, it does seem to me that she did her duty. You know yourself that if she hadn't given warning, all three of the villages would have been cleaned out. A matter of 1,500 people. And if she'd stopped to lug that child, she couldn't have got here in time. Don't you believe she was thinking of those mill hands children? Maria Malia, I'm ashamed of you, said old Miss Briggs. But you ain't married. You ain't a mother. A mother's duty is to her own child. She neglected her own to look after other folks. The Lord never gave her them other children to care for. Yes, said Miss Jacobs. And here's her child, a burden on the town. Oh, she was an unnatural mother. Good night.